Welcome to the Category Mistake. I'm your host, Richard Mariello, and I am going to be talking about a few different things this week. And I think for me, the biggest challenge I'm having with what I'm going to talk about today is I have a lot going on in my mind. So I'm probably going to be bouncing around in lots of different places, which is good for me, but I don't know if people can keep track of what's going on in my brain. So this week, I found out that I'm being replaced at my teaching job by somebody who was supposed to be gone, but now is no longer gone. And so I've come to a crossroads where I need to decide if I'm going to stay in the school district that promised me a job that they can't give me, or do I want to look other places? So I had lots of job offers And I chose this one because it was the, I thought, best fit, even though it was the least stable of all of them. I was going for, you know, something that I thought would fit me better. And of course, come November, things changed. Uh, So now I'm thinking of going to some of the schools that still have openings that originally offered me the job and kind of going back and... And being honest with them that, you know, this just, this happened and then I wish it didn't. And maybe I should have chosen stable over this and not crawl back to them, but tell them how, you know, I really wanted to go outside my comfort zone. That's why I chose the school that I chose. Of course, some schools might not like that because they like to be first chosen, first dibs, first whatever. But I'm hoping that the few that I do reach out to understand why I did what I did. First, the school I was teaching at, the pay is a lot better. Two, um, it was with an age group that I hadn't taught before, but I really wanted to. And three, it was in a town that I grew up in. So it was more like me trying to do better by the kids who kind of are, in my mind, like me. Now, what I realized teaching there is that most of these kids are not like me. Um, They have a different lifestyle than I had back in the 80s. And that's good. Um, I had a very treacherous type lifestyle I was kind of all over the place and and most of these kids have a pretty stable life and that's great uh the kids who don't really resonated with me and we got along really well but even the kids who didn't who have normal quote-unquote normal lives most of us got along really really well and that's I think because I tried to meet them at where they were not where I wanted them to be because what I've realized teaching over all these years, if I teach the kids where I want them to be and I don't know where they are, they'll never get there. I have to understand that what I think they should already know is not what they already know. And expecting them to know things that I believe everyone should know at their age is just, it's kind of silly on my end. It's silly because... I don't know who taught them before. I don't know what they taught them. And I don't, I, I can't expect those kids to be in love with things like I am. 
Um, I can't expect them to be obsessed with certain things like I am. And I've learned that. And that was a really good growing teaching moment over the last five, six years for me. And I'm glad I've, I've gotten that out of the way-ish mentally for me. So I'm thinking about going back and going into a school system where, honestly, it's weird. Um, I enjoy teaching at private schools, not because, oh, it's private school. It's, it's because the kids, the students, a lot, there's, there's very little the students don't want to do. They all want to learn. They all want to really grow and they really want to push themselves because they've been taught by their parents over the years that, hey, this education isn't free. We're sacrificing a lot. Your job is to learn. With that, of course, you have kids who have very high expectations of themselves. And that can be a two-edged sword, but it's a, it can be a positive too because if you get them motivated, if you get their, that little spark going, they really will push themselves to learn in a way that you could never imagine. And I think I experienced that a lot when I taught at the last school before this one. I had a lot of students who wanted to push themselves, and it was great. I enjoyed it immensely. But mentally, here's the problem with me. Not staying where I was, um, it was kind of a mental kick to the gut. Um, it was a kick to the gut because even though I can't change their minds, I can't do something dramatically special to make myself better. I gave everything I had and it wasn't good enough. Or I gave everything I had and the powers of B lost control and they had to do something else. And that bothers me. It bothers me because I believe as a teacher you try to reach 80% of your students. There's always going to be that 20% that hates you or hate school or hate this or don't like this or complain, complain, complain. And as a teacher, you expect that. At least I expect that. Um, I'd love to reach 100%. And sometimes I feel like I have on certain things. But what I've also realized is that if I don't reach 100%, I can't beat myself up for it. So I've always been pushing myself to go 80%. And if I get higher, great. Um, but I had students who didn't care for me. It was great. I mean, not great, but I mean, I understand it. It's not like it's like, oh, boo-hoo, they didn't like me. But that's okay. But the challenge I'm having is it wasn't the students that didn't like me. I really don't think the administration didn't like me. I think it was just the way the world works is if, you know, teacher goes away on a sabbatical vacation, whatever you want to call it, and then they come back early, the low man on the totem pole goes away. Or the low seniority. I don't want to use anything incorrect, but the lowest seniority loses, and that would be me. So... I probably will not be teaching there. 
probably be looking for something better or a different, different location, which is okay. It's good for me, right? But mentally, un under the guidance of my wife, I've realized that the last six weeks or so, I've been filling my time up with busy work. I haven't been focusing on allowing myself to process information. I don't know if anyone else has this problem, but lots of things happen in your life and instead of dealing with them, you just get busy. I've gotten myself super busy. So today and maybe a couple more times this week, I'm going to stop and no, don't be busy. You know, don't be. I'm not going to fill myself up with too much busy work. Now, it's Christmas time when I'm making this. It's November, and I do a lot of lights. So I do I do keep busy with the lights outside my house. Um, this year is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer theme, so we have a lot of things going up. And we have a lot of lights. And as I've spoke about before, with the a lot of lights, it's a lot of work to get them hung and working and doing, looking in a way that makes me happy. Last year wasn't as good as I wanted them to be. Um, I had a lot of helpers, but didn't quite go the way I wanted it to go. So this year I've kind of focused on making sure that they're right. Um, well, that they're better. But that's just a way I deal with, you know, some people work on cars, some people work on puzzles and and you know, not antiques, but uh, models. They do all types of stuff to help them focus. I don't do a lot of that stuff. I don't know if I've ever completed an actual puzzle. Um, I don't think I've ever completed a model car, model, or anything. Um, I play video games, which I haven't done in a long time because I had surgery and I can't seem to be able to do that yet. I'm not allowed. But Christmas lights is one of the things I do. And that's one of the few things I can do. And I watch movies. Um, I watched the newest movie that came out this weekend, Black Panther, which was different. It was um, a challenge to watch because uh, the star of it had died of pancreatic cancer. I think it was pancreatic cancer um, during the pandemic. And they didn't replace him. They let him die in the movie of a long illness. And the movie itself wasn't, it, it was good. It, it wasn't a horrible movie. It's just the way they dealt with the death to me was good. Um, that was the best part of it. And that sounds morbid, but they didn't say, oh, he died in battle or he didn't die this way. Or they, they literally said he had a long illness and he died. And the emotion was raw. The emotion was there. And it reminded me of deaths I've had in my life. It also reminds me that when my mother passed away and other people have passed away in my life, that emotion hasn't been as raw. Um, there's been one funeral that I can remember in the last 10 years that have made me, has made me emotional. 
and it wasn't a relative. It was a person who I loved very much and she was very special to me, but um, she wasn't related. She just cared. I've, you know, other family members have died and I have not been that emotional. I was a little more choked up for Black Panther's funeral, which is kind of scary than I was for other people in my own family. And I think that's because there's baggage when your family dies. You know, there's, there's things, there's very rarely are there just good things, right? You always have these memories, these, oh, well, don't you remember when they or she or he did this? It's not just good memories. And that's, you know, I'm going to be the same way. My, you know, when I pass away, my kids are going to be like, remember when he did something stupid? And, I, and I've done a lot of stupid, and I get that. Um, but what I'm hoping to do is that when I do die, um, my kids remember more positive than the negative. Now, unfortunately for me, I haven't found a lot of, I haven't thought of a lot of positive for like my mother and others in my family. I remember some positives, but not not as many as I was hoping for. Um, like I enjoyed certain things that we did as a family growing up. But a lot of the times it wasn't, hey guys, do you want to go here? It was more like we're going here. Well, I don't want to go there. Well, that's too bad. We're going anyway. So my stepfather would take us fishing. I hated fishing because I never got an option to like it. I just was taking fishing and we would sit there for hours and do nothing but fish. And to me, that was like, I never loved it because I never saw the point to it because I was never explained why I should like it. So I didn't. Camping, same thing. We would go to the same campground almost every year. We would go to one of two places. We'd go to the national parks in New Hampshire, or we'd go to a place in like North Perwick. And those are the two places we always went to every year. Same thing every year. We'd stay in tents or in a pop-up camper, and we'd go with my aunt and my uncle, and we'd do it every year. And we'd go to Storyland, and we'd do all this and I, it, it's not that I hated it, but it wasn't that I was given a choice. We were doing it. And I think some of these traditions have passed along to my kids. I have. I've, I've passed them along because I'm like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I don't like it, but I shouldn't take this away. But when they got older, we didn't say, hey, you guys are going here. It's like, hey, would you guys like to? So like a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, we all went to Storyland. And there was a lot of us. It was like 12 or 13 of us. Uh, and it wasn't like, hey guys, we're going to Storyland. It's like, okay, we, mom and I want to go here with you. Who wants to go? And I think growing up, if I was given those options, I might have been more robust into actually doing it. But since I wasn't, I wasn't. I think that's the societal change that I've tried to make. And my wife probably 
not as much because I think she grew up differently than I did. But I think that's the change that I've tried to make is there is certain things where I quote unquote force my children, but there's other things where I give them options. Now, neither option could be what they want, but there's multiple options. You know, we, if we go on vacation, we're going on a vacation. What we do on the vacation might change, but we are going on vacation. Like last year, I went to North Carolina. I went to Texas and California with my two youngest. And when we went to North Carolina, we're like, okay, well, we can do this or we can do this. We're going to North Carolina. Now, there's a trampoline park or we can do this or we can do this. And they chose one of those, you know, few things. And that's great. Texas, you know, we're going to Texas. Here's what I'd like to do. As long as we can do this one thing, we can figure out what else we want to do. California, same thing. It was, we didn't budget our time so tightly that we couldn't just do something else. So a lot of the time, like in California, the kids swam. We went to Disneyland, we saw a few friends, but and we went to the beach. But they also got to swim in the pool a lot because that's what they wanted to do. So we gave them time to do that. I remember just growing up as a kid, never being given that option. It was just... This is our day. This is what we're doing. And I guess, in a way, being giving my kids that option, even if it's, hey, we're going to the pool or the beach, what do you want to do today? Even though, basically, both are going to get you wet, both are going to be in the sun, it makes them feel like I'm listening to them. So that's what I try to do with that. I say so a lot. I've noticed that, too. Um, Doing this podcast, doing this talking to into a microphone to nobody or to somebody has really opened up my mind to think about what others are thinking or doing every day. Uh, some people have told me they listen to me while they're driving. Some people tell me they listen to me while they're working. Some people tell me that they're listening to me late at night. Some people don't tell me anything, which is fine. And I always think to myself, why are you listening to me talk on purpose about things that have nothing to do with you? And the answer is because as a human being, I think we all have the same thoughts, ideas, and questions. Our lives are different, but they're similar enough to where hearing somebody question and contemplate and struggle with reality makes you kind of feel normal. Those moments of the day when you feel like you can't, you, you must be the only one dealing with this and you realize, wait, no, there's at least one other person who's dealing with this. And if there's at least one other, then you know there's probably more than that. And I think that makes us feel like we're not, we're not different. We're, there, there's, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm the only one experiencing the crazy. And when you have that feeling, you can have one of two ways of dealing with it. Either one, you're like, oh boy, I'm special. Or two, it's, oh boy, I'm special. One's a positive, one's a negative. I never saw it as a positive. I never saw it as great. I think this way, I must be crazy. No. I always thought of it like, I'm weird, I'm different. This is why people don't hang out with me. 
and realizing this now over time, there are people out there like me that think like me and sometimes, and sometimes just hearing somebody else say it is enough for you to realize, okay, I'm okay. The world is crazy, bat crap crazy, but I'm okay. And that's, that's good. And I've experienced that a lot lately because, you know, I don't do a lot of these because of the world we're living in and because of the life I'm living between starting a new job, having surgery, my mother passing away. I've kind of just neglected dealing with reality. And this is one of the ways I deal with it is by talking into a microphone to whoever wants to listen. And by doing that, it allows me to realize and come to grips with that I'm not alone. And by not doing that over the last couple of months, I've felt very isolated and alone. What I've also realized by doing this podcast is, like it or not, there are people in this world who might not love me, but they like me. They like me because either one, they listen, and it could be a thing where they're waiting for a train wreck to happen, or two, what I talk about actually is meaningful. Growing up as a kid, I know it sounds great, I had really no friends. I had no friends because I was just different. In high school, I had a couple friends, and to this day, I don't know why they were my friends. And when I got older, I got had my wife and I really haven't had a lot of friends. I have a few handful of friends now, but most of them I know through, you know, other things. I don't, I don't, I didn't just meet these guys on a job or at a random building or at the shopping mall and say, hey, let's be friends. It's most of them are through church. I think all of them are through church. And while that's great, it is also kind of, you, you always question yourself. Are they your friends because they're supposed to be? Are they friends because they like you? Are they friends because they feel guilty? And I think all of us struggle with that. Why are these people my friend? Because I'm not a nice person. You know, I don't come across sweet and forgiving and loving and caring. I'm kind of raw, kind of rough around the edges. I speak my mind. You know, like right now in the world we live in, you have people like Andrew Tate and Kanye West and Kyrie Irving and all these other people who are speaking their minds. Logan Paul, Jake Paul, everyone with a Paul. And you have Andrew Tate who basically says, guys, stop being pushovers, be the man, you know, take control, take care of yourself, take care of your money, take care of yourself, take care of your money, then you can take care of your woman. If your woman's taking care of you, then you're doing something wrong. And that works for some people. I get the point. The point is basically men are supposed to be the the G.I. Joe gung-ho, here we go, let's take control and let the women do what they need to do and protect them. I got that. I, I, I agree with some of that. I think the way he says it sometimes can come off wrong, but I get his overall point. Kanye West, Kyrie Irving, they're very, right now, they've said a lot of things about, you know, the original Jews and how 
their original Jews and and the Jews of today run everything and la da da da. And I guess I have a problem. They have free speech. Everyone has free speech. Say what you want. Great. I guess my problem with their speech is they're attacking a group of people because five or six of them have had a negative impact on their life. Now, at the same point, we in America, we attack five or six police, we attacked all the police officers because five or six did something bad. Or if we attacked five or uh, all the black people, African-American people, whatever, non-white people, if we attacked all of them because five or six of them did something bad. Um, January 6th, insurrection. There's a handful of people went into the Capitol building and did lots of bad, bad things. Do we then put all the Republican people into one group because of those small group. And if we do that, what we're saying is, is Jimmy down the road who voted Republican because he believes in most of what they stand for is a terrorist, just like this other guy who stormed the Capitol building. And it's not the same thing. Kyrie and and Kanye, or Yee, or whatever the heck he calls himself, Yay, is saying that a manager who signed his contract, who got him out of money, is cheap and horrible and runs everything. Does that mean that the people down at the synagogue down the street from me, they're all evil people who are ruining their life because they're Jewish? No, that that's I think that's what they're, he's saying. But that's not the case what all these people are doing is they're basically saying, you know, these five or six handful of people are really not great people. And because of that, all of the people that they're like must not be good people. And we can't say that in America. What I've learned over the years is I'm really bad at political correctness. I'm bad because I don't see what the big deal is pointing out our differences because I think the differences is what makes us amazing and cool. Um, from the different hairstyles, the different cultures, to the different ways their skin looks and feels, to the clothing, all the differences that make them different, I think is amazing. The problem with that, of course, is we've been so... We've been so pushed to not point out the differences that pointing them out, unless you're A, B, or C person, pushed pointing them out, they're told you're being told that you're being, you know, you're being racist or you're being sexist or you're being whatever. You know, women are different than men. I know. Crazy. Women can have babies. I can't. Okay, that's amazing to me. That's freaking crazy. Women, the women I know, most of them, are emotionally more stable and they're able to control things and they're able to balance things that I can't balance. Great, amazing. I'm just speaking from my experience. I don't know, you know, yours. Most men, most of the time, 
their bodies are built differently. They're built to withstand certain things that women's bodies normally can't withstand. Great. Whatever. Cool. Me pointing that out doesn't mean I hate men or hate women. What it means is I know that there's a difference and we're both beautiful, awesome things. Pointing out an African-American's hair or their skin or their way that they look to show the difference of how amazing they are compared to me. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's cool because like, like I said, I, I'm fascinated by it because I enjoy it. It's not like, Ooh, look at them. They're so strange. It's more like, Ooh, look at them. That's cool. Um, when I have hung out with, I, I have a lot of people that I was in the military with that were Spanish and I'm fascinated by how they can go back and forth between Spanish and English so easily. And it just rolls off and it just goes and it goes. Now, I'm barely fluid in English. And they're fluid in multiple languages. And I think that's amazing. Now, me calling them out or saying something to them like, wow, that's really cool, isn't me demeaning them or saying, well, you know, go back to whatever country. Because that's stupid. It's giving them credit. But what I've found out over the years is being who I am, what I look like, people who look like I am get offended by what I say. 99% of the time, the people who I'm talking to don't get offended. It's the people who are around the people that I'm talking to get offended. You know, um, teaching, I was told, you know, I don't like the this type of person, this type of person. And what's funny is that I have all these different representations in my family of these type of people. And I try to understand because I'm like, wait a minute. If I don't like these people, then my children are these people. You're telling me I don't like my children? You know, it it goes back, not to get too political, but it goes back, Dick Cheney was a vice president. Not Probably not a great man. He said, oh, he's anti-LGBTQ plus minus equal sign. Though his daughter was part of that community. He loved his daughter, spent time with his daughter, da 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 da. But he was he hated him according to the news. I there was a governor for our state who was called a racist, though he had a child who was African American, who he adopted. I don't understand how people can be labeled something when it's not true. Um our, one of our presidents got all these awards for, you know, NAACP, Man of the Year awards, da, 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 all this stuff, and then called a racist. How can you be called a racist when the people who are giving you an award for not being racist are those people that you're being told you're being racist to? It makes no sense. Anyway, rambling. I'm not a big fan of hating anybody. I never have been. When I spent time overseas, when I spent time with 
people in different states and different areas of the world. There have been bad people and I have not cared for them much. Now, when I was in Afghanistan, it's not like I went, oh my gosh, those those Afghanis are horrible people. No, I did not like the people who were blowing up those people or my people or anybody's people. But the normal people of Afghanistan, I had no problem with. I had no problem with them because they were just people trying to live. They are trying to live longer than their parents lived. They were trying to make sure their children lived to be older than they were, which is what we do here. That's what most people do in the world. As a parent, you try to have their your child have a better life than you did. And that's all it was in Afghanistan. That's all it is in America. That's all it is in Spain and Italy and France and Germany, everywhere. I never hated anybody. The reason I joined the military, the reason I went overseas, the reason I did what I did was because there are people in this world who are bullies. And they don't pick on the other the people with guns. They pick on the people who have small children and no weapons and no way to defend themselves. And I don't like bullies. And with that, I'm just, you know, I thought to myself, as a kid, I probably I probably picked on people that were less than me, and that was wrong of me. As an adult, I'm not gonna let it happen. And so even with my students, I've had students that are kind of, you know, picked on a lot. Those are the ones I always seem to get drawn to. And I think we as a society, that's what we need to do is we need to look for the kids and the people who are marginalized, who are less than. And we need to stand up for them. Now, stand up for them when they're doing the right thing. When they're doing the wrong thing, don't go like, well, you know, they're doing the wrong thing because... They're still doing the wrong thing, okay? I am all for supporting people who are not, you know, white, non-color. I don't know what. People of color, POCs. There we go. But if a POC is breaking into a store and robbing people, I'm not going to say, well, that's okay because, you know, we marginalized you in 1865. They weren't alive in 1865, okay? It's 2022. Nobody that is alive today was alive in 1865. Now, there are some people who were alive during Jim Crow in the 1950s, 1940s, 1960s, and 70s. But those are getting fewer and fewer. Since probably the 90s, we'll go the last 35 years, so like 87 to now. There has been very little in racist activities as a whole. Now, individuals, I can't control. But our government has done less and less racist activities. I mean, there are actually things set up to help minorities get more. And that's good. Now, we can talk about why it's not always good. But in the long run, it's good. So 
if Jimmy again is a person of color and he's knocking, you know, breaking into a store and stealing stuff, I'm not going to be like, support him because you don't understand what he's going through. No. Now, if he's down trying to get a job and he needs someone to help him and support him, I'm there. You go. I will support you. I will be there. I will be your biggest cheerleader. If you're not hired from a job because of your skin color or because of, you know, supposedly your background and you've made amends and you've done whatever you need to do and say you've had a criminal history, but you're, you're doing the right thing. I will stand up for you and fight for you for days, but I'm not going to just say because you're black, because you're Hispanic, because you're white, because you're this, because you're that, um, I don't, you know, I need to stand up for you because if I don't, it, it, I'm, I'm setting a bad example. I will stand up for anybody who tries to make themselves better. But I will also not stand up for you if you're trying to hurt other people and make other people's lives harder because you feel like you deserve more than they do. This is the end. I know, big gap there. I was contemplating if I wanted to go into deeper content, but I decided that that's not a good idea for 38 minutes in. So next week, I will be back. And as you hear, I hopefully win my voice. I'm a calmer person. I'm trying to process things at a better rate. I'm trying to focus more on positive things. Um, and with that... I need to make sure when I speak, I don't just vent, yell, complain about things without making sure my brain and my mouth are on the same page. It is almost Thanksgiving. At least it is in this part of the world. And next week, I'm going to talk about all the things I'm thankful for. Now, I'll tell you a few things right now. I'm thankful for my family, not just my wife and my kids. I have siblings. I have other people in my life that are my family that I'm very thankful for. They tolerate a lot for me. They deal with a lot for me. And I'm a better person because of them. So until next week, when we talk again, have a beautiful, beautiful week. Keep looking for positive things in your life. Keep looking for people that you can help. Keep looking for people that you can maybe change their lives by doing one small thing, one big thing, one medium thing. I mean, you don't have to be like Mr. Beast or anybody else and give them a you know, billion dollars. A cup of coffee, a smile, a handshake, a gift card for gas, something to show people out there that you care. Because right now, our world needs more people who care and less people who want to complain about how no one cares. This is your host, Richard Mariel. I will talk to you next week.